Good morning. Uh, if you've got your Bibles there, please keep them open to that passage in Acts chapter 2. Um, for those who I haven't met, I'm Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's lovely to be with you. And it's a privilege to open God's Word with you. Uh, I'm thankful for it. Let's pray. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your word to us in the book of Acts. We pray that you'd speak to us this morning through this word before us, and that we might hear you speak and respond in faith by your Holy Spirit. We pray this for the glory of the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. I wonder if you've ever been out of breath. You know that feeling when you're gasping for air, just struggling to get enough oxygen into your body. There was a time in the last year or so uh, when I was playing soccer and I had the breath just completely knocked out of me. Uh, It was a Monday afternoon, I was playing a casual game of soccer with some friends and my teammate had the ball on the other side of the field and I was pretty close to the goal And, and he crossed it over to me And in my mind's eye, I was about to score the most magnificent goal. You know, I saw myself on the highlights reel, you know, diving forward, header straight into into the back of the net. But alas, I jumped forward, completely missed the ball and landed flat, hard on the dirt. And I landed so awkwardly on top of my arm that I, I completely winded myself. And I was... I was struggling to breathe. I couldn't breathe at all. My lungs were just crying out for some air. A minute or so later, I was completely fine, and I could laugh about it with a mate. But for a very short while, I thought, it felt like I was about to die. There are are many things that can make us feel out of breath, you know, perhaps even just doing some exercise that's a bit more intense than usual for you. But there are also times when being out of breath becomes quite serious and even life-threatening. Because when it comes down to it, breathing, it's, it's essential. It's essential for the body. Without enough oxygen, our bodies just can't function as they should. And I think sometimes we can have this feeling of being out of breath in the Christian life too. The feeling when we're, we're busy and, and tired to the point where we lose sight of the bigger picture and all we can see is the, the struggle in front of us each day. And in the end, serving God can become more of a duty than a delight. And in a way, it makes sense that we feel this way sometimes. We are weak, flawed, messy people in a a broken world. We need God's help in serving him. And thankfully, thankfully God provides what we need. He gives us his spirit. You might remember in the passage from last week, in that commission from Jesus to his disciples, Acts 1.8, it says, But you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses through all the earth. A bit like our bodies need breath to survive, to function. 
In the same way, the church, the body of Christ, we need God's breath to function as we should. We need the Holy Spirit to bear witness to Christ. Because trying to do God's work without the Spirit, that's like, that's like trying to run a marathon while holding your breath. It's, it's impossible. The Spirit is essential for us. So we might ask, what, what does the Spirit actually do? Or more specifically, what, what is the Spirit doing in your life? What's the Spirit doing in the life of this church? So this is our question for today. What does the Holy Spirit do? And we'll see what Acts chapter 2 has to say about this question. And so we'll walk through the passage together. And we'll look briefly at the event that happened before the reading in verses 1 to 15. And then we'll spend most of our time looking at what it means, what it tells us about Jesus and what it means for us. So first... Let's look at the event that happened. Have a look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1, if you've got your Bibles. Try to picture this scene as it's described. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This sound of the violent wind coming from heaven and and the sight of tongues of fire, even just those things themselves, make us think, this is something from God. And then we're told in the very next verse explicitly that the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. This this is from God. Then a crowd that hears or sees what's happening, they gather. And they're from all over the place. In verse 5 it says, they're from every nation under heaven. In verses 9 to 11, a few verses later, There are a whole list of different places mentioned. Fifteen different places from north, south, east, west. And all of these people have come to Jerusalem for this special event. People have travelled hundreds and hundreds of kilometres to be here. At this Jewish festival called Pentecost. And God chooses this time to pour out his spirit in this way. And so this crowd... Because of what they've seen, they're bewildered, amazed, perplexed, because they hear these disciples speaking their own native language. You know, native languages from Libya in Africa, from North Asia, all different places, hearing their own native language. Wow. And so the response, well, the response is mixed, actually. Some, Some say... What does this mean in verse 12? They seem genuinely interested in what this is all about. But others make fun of them and say, oh, they've had too much wine to drink. They must be drunk. And so from verse 14 onwards, Peter explains, you know, answering both of them, saying, no, 
They're not drunk. But then he says, listen carefully to what I'm about to explain. And he goes on to answer their question of what does this mean? And in a nutshell, Peter's explanation of this event is that Jesus is Lord. This amazing work of the Spirit, it's really all about Jesus. It happens so that people might be pointed to Jesus. Peter, he then preaches this message, Jesus is Lord, from three different Old Testament passages. And so we're going to look at three kind of aspects of Jesus' lordship that Peter, Peter draws out. So firstly, Jesus is the Lord who brings judgment and salvation. Saviour and judge. The, the quote from Joel chapter 2 that you see there, it says that when God pours out his spirit like this, it says, in the last days, verse 17, in the last days, God will pour out his spirit like this. And the last days are the days before judgment comes, before God, before Jesus actually, will return as the judge. That's today, 2022, we're in those last days. Jesus could return at any moment, any time. Now the signs here described from Joel, God pouring out the Spirit, his people prophesying, blood, fire, smoke, they're all signs that the Lord is, he's coming. These wonders and signs that are mentioned in verse 19, they're also mentioned in verse 22. Peter speaks of the wonders and signs that Jesus performed, you know, healing the sick, driving out demons. Peter is saying that Jesus, Jesus is the Lord of Joel chapter 2. This event that they see now, these miracles that they've seen, these are all signs that Jesus is Lord and he's coming again. You know, just like when you hear a siren call or see red and blue flashing lights, what does that mean? Yeah, we know that there's a cop car or an ambulance or a fire engine coming. The sign tells you that something is coming. These signs described in Joel chapter 2, they say that judgment, the Lord, the day of the Lord is coming. Jesus is the Lord who will come to judge, but he's also the Lord who saves. Verse 21, the very next verse says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. These these signs aren't intended to paralyze people with dread and fear of what's coming, but they're to point people to God, to encourage them to turn to God while there's still time. Now is the time to choose life rather than death. Now is the time to call on the Lord and be saved. Imagine an office building and there's there's a fire alarm going off. Some people hear it and ignore it. Maybe they think it's a fire drill. They think it's not for them. They're a bit too busy. Some people genuinely haven't heard it. They've got headphones on, perhaps. 
They need someone to go and alert them to the danger they're in. In answer to the question of the crowd, what does this mean? What is the Spirit doing here? Well, this outpour of the Spirit, it's a sign and a warning that it's the last days, that Jesus will come soon to judge, but that everyone who calls on his name will be saved. Now, secondly, about Jesus as Lord, Jesus is the risen Messiah. That, that name, Messiah, meaning God's anointed, God's anointed one, God's chosen one who would accomplish his purposes. In a moment, I'll read from verse 22 to 23. And, and while I read, listen carefully for the emphasis on God's action. Verse 22, Jesus of Nazareth, was a man accredited, to, accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Jesus is God's chosen one, the Messiah. God chose to fulfill his promises through Jesus. God chose to fulfill his promises through a king who would suffer and die. Peter then quotes Psalm 16 to show that God would not leave him in the grave, that God would raise up his chosen king from the dead. From verse 31, Peter says, speaking of David, seeing what was to come, He spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he had not abandoned him to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. God has raised Jesus to life, exalted him to his right hand, And now Jesus, the risen Messiah, has poured out the Holy Spirit for all to see. So not only is this outpouring of the Spirit about Jesus, pointing to him, but it's from him. He's the one who poured it out. Jesus is the risen Messiah, God's chosen King. And the Spirit here that people see and hear is evidence that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive and active through his Holy Spirit. Now, just take a moment to think of Jesus' enemies at this point. You know, imagine people like the chief priests and the Pharisees, people who wanted Jesus dead. They've they've seen this Jesus movement that's happening, and they want it to stop. So they they kill the leader. Surely that's going to stop it. Now, what do they hear? They hear that it was actually God's plan all along for him to die. And, and what's more, he's not even dead anymore. He's alive. He's alive again and causing this spectacle at Pentecost. You know, Pentecost, this Jewish festival, people from all over, all over the place, all over the continent, they're coming together and they're hearing about Jesus 
their enemy who they tried to put to death. This is terrible for the chief priests. Their major Jewish festival has been hijacked by this Jesus movement and their leader who just won't die. In the world around us, there will always be people in opposition to the purposes of God. But they'll always be fighting a losing battle. God's purposes through Jesus will always prevail. We see that in his death and resurrection. And we'll come to this point now of Jesus, the Lord of all, as we see in Psalm 110. Here we see what it means that Jesus is Lord of all, sitting at the right hand of God. Psalm 110 speaks about God installing his chosen king and making him rule over his enemies. Here's what it says. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of God. He is ruler of the universe. But all around us, we see things that don't seem to fit with that. There are rulers, kingdoms, little empires everywhere that exalt themselves without giving honour to Jesus, the Lord of all. There are enemies of Christ who, who haven't yet been put under his feet. But even though there is opposition to the Lord now, even though many live in rebellion against Jesus, the ruler, one day, one day every knee will bow, one day every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Because Jesus' rule, Jesus' lordship is reality. It's not just a relative truth for those who believe, but it's true for everyone, true for the whole world. And what does the Spirit do in all of this? The Spirit declares this reality, that Jesus is Lord. The Spirit works through people like Peter, people like you and me, to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. So now let's think about us. What does it mean for us that Jesus is Lord? Because he is Lord, and some, some reject his reality. Some don't accept Jesus as their Lord. But what about you? Is Jesus your Lord? The people listening to Peter are cut to the heart in verse 37. So they ask him and the other apostles, what should we do? I wonder if you can remember a time when you were cut to the heart by the truth of the gospel, by the fact that Jesus is Lord, but you've rebelled against him. My, my earliest memory of this type of feeling was probably from when I was 10, this feeling of being cut to the heart about my sin. When I was about 10, there was a time when my dad had told me off for something. He'd, he'd scolded me and I'd been sent to my room and I was angry at him. 
I was in my room cursing him in my heart, you know, wishing bad things for my dad. But then I read from the lips of Jesus in Matthew's gospel these words, anyone who curses his father or mother is to be put to death. I, I like broke apart, right? I was terrified. Little Andrew, he believed Jesus. He believed that the words of Jesus in the Bible were true and that they were saying that I should be put to death. I was mortified. And I was ready to do whatever I needed to escape that death I deserved. Thankfully, my mum had taught me that if you come to Jesus, he offers forgiveness. This conviction, being cut to the heart, it's by grace, by the Spirit of God. Just like that amazing hymn, Amazing Grace, says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." Our fears are relieved when we, when we repent and trust in Jesus, that he will take away our sins. As Peter says in verse 38, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. When we come to Jesus, we can be absolutely confident that he will forgive us. When we come to him, when we call on his name, we can know that we will be saved. And what's more, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. This brings us back to this opening question. What is the Spirit doing in you? What's the Spirit doing in the life of the church? And it seems that the Spirit works in two ways. To to work in those who accept Jesus as their Lord. Firstly, the Spirit declares that Jesus is Lord to us, to our hearts. As God's Spirit works in you, works in us, we submit more and more attitudes and behaviours to his lordship, to his rule. As the Spirit works in us, we align our lives more and more with his will. It means we submit to Jesus in the very details of our lives, like in the, the tone of voice we use with our family members when we're irritated. It means we submit to him in, in the way we use our money, We submit to him in what we do or choose not to do at work. The Spirit helps us to do this, to to show allegiance to Jesus, the Lord of all, by proclaiming to us, to our hearts, Jesus is Lord. And secondly, the Spirit declares that Jesus is Lord through us to others. Because in God's wisdom, He fills us with his Holy Spirit. Like Simon said earlier, the third person of the Trinity, God himself, dwells in us. That same Holy Spirit that brought 3,000 people to submit to Jesus as their Lord at the preaching of Peter. That same Holy Spirit dwells in us. So pray expectantly that God will work through you. And speak boldly, because God's Spirit is at work through you. 
thinking back to that picture of being out of breath. I'm a bit out of breath now. There will be times when we're feeling tired, when we're lacking confidence or enthusiasm for the kingdom of God. In these times, be reminded, be encouraged that God has given us his spirit. Take some deep breaths of God's spirit who gives us life, gives us energy and confidence to do his will. Jesus the Lord pours out his spirit on us that we might declare to the world that he is Lord. So let's pray expectantly that God will do the miraculous through us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you great thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you rescued us in Jesus. You offered us salvation if we repent and believe. And we thank you for the gift of your spirit. We pray that you would help us by his power to proclaim Jesus as Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.